You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. Hi, I'm Alex Gilmore from gypsyaudio.org, and I'd like to congratulate the Sonic Society on 10 fantastic years. The following audio drama is rated R and is recommended restricted for anyone under the age of 17. There, that should be good. But I'm afraid your leather jacket's toast. No, not my genuine Raiders of the Lost Ark jacket. Genuine indie jacket? Oh, but that... It used to be with only four left. Oh, and that was my favorite. Good thing I wasn't wearing my fedora. You're... You're Jack Ward. And you're Pete Lutz. Chief architect, writer, and producer of Pulp Parade Theater and Narada Radio Company. But the last time we saw you was the end of last season with Tame Me This Beast. That's, uh, that's, uh, uh, quite an outfit you've got. Flash Gordon? More vintage Buck Rogers. The jetpack's not much help here, but the fire suppression cannon still works at least. Where are we? What are you doing here? I was kidnapped right after the episode last season. Kidnapped? Didn't you ever wonder what happened after the final episode of season one, Pulpery Theater, aired? I just figured you were on hiatus. So many groups take time. Nonsense. Let me tell you about season two. We don't have time right now. How do we get out of this cell? That's the problem. I've got more than enough firepower to take out most conventional cells, but there's a force field surrounding the entranceway that neither my needle gun nor my photonic blaster bus or even the stun sword can get through. And from the sounds of the tortoise's engines, we're about to materialize. Huh. The sensors on the Gleam Glove report a particularly new area of audio space. Apparently, this is where the short pub Hamlet from Lorna Meehan and the once and future nerd from Christian Madeira intersect. Whoa, what was that? Suddenly, it felt like David Alt there for a second. Why are we here? To listen to audio drama? I don't mean existentially, Pete. I mean in this particular time and space. I think that still fits. David must be looking for us right now. We have to get out and find him. Late as usual. What time do you call this? Sorry, got held up. Some pretty heavy shit going down. Here we go again. You're walking soap opera. What is it this week? Mum's gone mad and stabbed your best mate with your letter opener. Found your court jester's skeleton in your wardrobe. Oh, dead dad still commanding you to avenge his bloody murder? Yes. Well, that's what you get from skulking around in graveyards. Honestly, you need counselling. It's a bit more complicated than that. There are dark forces at work. The fates have tangled me in an intricate web from which there is no... Oh, I love it when you get all dark and moody. If you weren't such a head case, you'd definitely get it. What? Nothing, sweetie. You carry on. I'm just going to grab some peanuts. I get the feeling we're going to be here for a while. 
You want out? What we want tonight will taste bitter in our mouths by the morning. Sod you then. Get me a pint of strong bitter. Figures. Sweet friend, will you cast me off too when you see my crimson shame? Okay, I'm ready for some serious soliloquizing. Hit me. No, really. I don't want to bore you with it. Oh, quit the suffering in silence act. You know you love talking about yourself. That's all it is with you. My conscience this, my immortal soul that. You never ask how I am. Sorry, I've just really fucked things up this time. Let me guess. That weird girl you've been harassing has finally told you to sod She's on. not weird. She's ethereal. She talks to flowers and collects dead birds in a shopping trolley. That is a bit weird. Leave her alone. She's just sensitive. Too sensitive for this merciless world. And for your information, she's definitely into me. I write a very persuasive letter, but I broke it off. It was just getting too complicated. I didn't want to get her involved in all this mess. <sighs> I don't have much luck with women, do I? Did you never wonder why? I mean, for one thing, you've got blood all over your hands. It's not exactly a big turn-on. Wet wine? Thanks. Want to keep the packet? In case you go off on another avenging spree? I can control myself. I accidentally murdered her dad, alright? What the actual fuck? Are you serious? Oh my god! All this... Do I? Don't I? What will God say stuff? Then suddenly, bang! I never thought you'd actually draw blood. Carl, when you finally take action, you don't mess about, do you? Hang on. How do you accidentally murder someone? He was... He was in Mother's room. Hmm. What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. Nothing. Bit of a go at your mum. Two men at once. You shut up about my mother. I warned you last time. You're the one who never shuts up about her. Mother wore a red dress to church. Mother didn't clap when I played her my latest brooding acoustic masterpiece. Mother looked at the stable boy in a manner that sexually confused me. No wonder your kooky girlfriend sent all your emo love poetry back. It's not sexy if you get your mum to spell check it, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sit down. I know it's a sore subject. I just think it's about time you moved out. You'd definitely find it easier to get laid. So would your mum come to that? Sorry. Sorry I'm done. What was that boring old fart doing in your mama's boudoir anyway? He wasn't doing anything unsavoury with mother. He was spying behind the arras. The what? The arras. The ass? He was spying, okay? And I was in a rage. I wasn't thinking. I thought he was someone else. Oh, here we go. I knew we wouldn't get through one night without him getting a mention. Look, for the last time, make an executive decision. Kill your pervy uncle, get some gangsters to do it, or just leave him alone, move out, and move on. But I'm cursed either way, don't you see? Oh, but nothing. You've been moaning about this so long, I don't even remember what all the fuss is about anymore. And like I've always said, how do you even know any of it was real? You've been under a lot of stress lately since your dad, you know, 
You sure you weren't just drunk? No, I'm telling you it was him. I shit myself. <laughs> sure you weren't just stoned in front of Most Haunted again? That's it! We're done! You're a venomous strumpet! And you have no idea how to talk to women. Sit down before you kill someone. What would you do then? I'd slip the slimy bastard some arse they can have done. Poison's too temperamental. Not if you're clever about it. Not more subtle than waving your rapier around, upsetting everyone. I'm a champion fencer, as you well know. Yeah, yeah, your mother showed me all your trophies. Very impressive. I know I'll feel better after I do this, but what if I don't? If I was a slimy bastard like him, I'd definitely bump off my hot-headed brother to get with your foxy mother. Hypothetically speaking, of course. So I guess your girlfriend's going to be pretty pissed when she finds out. She hates me anyway. Ever since... You tried to sell her to those nuns? Yeah. Bit of an old-fashioned overreaction, wasn't it? You don't have to point out all my shortcomings with quite so much relish. It's your shortcomings that make you so enticing, darling. Oh, relax. You and your shaggy head wave for welcome to each other. Though I'm pretty sure she's way too young to be cavorting with dark-minded bad boys. Poor thing. She probably can't tell if you're a complete crackpot or just a broken man-child. What? Just tell her the truth about the whole thing. Be assertive. Take command. Women like a guy who can make a decision and take action. You're right, but I can't do it now anyway. They're on to me. Why am I not surprised? Just sitting in your lounge for five minutes makes me feel like I'm in a viper's den. Anyway, enough doom and gloom. You up for karaoke tonight? I can't. I've got to go on a chill-out trip with these two muppets I went to school with. Let me guess. His idea, conniving bastard. I just wish there was some way to avenge my father without staining my soul. Mm. See, it changes you, murder. It blackens the spirit. Well, this has been a riot as usual, but I've got to go. I've finally bagged a date with your hot friend. Horatio! And you! I need some compensation for being your friend. Of course, all he does is talk about you, which is really fucking annoying. Of course he does. He's obsessed with me. It's obvious. Oh, get over yourself, pretty boy. Sorry. Not much fun anymore, am I? You'll be fine, love. As soon as you've murdered your pervy uncle and found a nice, stable girl, just like your mother. Oi! I'm off. Take care. Stay on the Prozac. Stay away from those Amdram tossers and... Cheer up. It might never happen. Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> Alright, Dave. The Once and Future Nerd. Book One Princes of Jordan. Chapter 2. Life in a Corner. Episode 1. Irona Regan had just had five men she didn't know try to kill her, 
and survived with the help of one man, one elf, one woman, and three children whom she also did not know. Also some flaming brandy. Sadly, this was not nearly as surprising to her as the news her new acquaintances brought. I'm a fucking princess? More than a princess. Sole heir to the high throne. And this is the first time anyone thought to let me know. Don't play the child. You understand legitimacy. Yeah, it means I grew up hungry just because someone didn't want to admit to his friends where he'd been sticking his royal cock. Mind your filthy tongue. Or what? I'm royalty, right? Part of being royalty is acting as becomes your title. Go fuck yourself, splinter pole. Oh wait, that wasn't very ladylike. Excuse me. Hawk, verily I hereby decree that you all shall fuck yourselves. How's that? You are certain she's the one. I'm gonna need that decree honored if you want me to believe this story you're telling. I'm offering you a new life. You'll want for nothing. Sorry, not buying it. Who says wherever you take me, half the city guard isn't waiting for me? I've only my word to offer. In Regan's experience, a man offering her only his word invariably intended to rob her blind and murder her. With a look of contempt, she rose to leave. It must be exhausting, sister. Always waiting for the next betrayal? Come with us and look over your shoulder just long enough to find out if the general speaks true. Stay and look over your shoulder for the rest of your life. As Regan weighed Nia's words, she saw with a tinge of regret a wasted, charred piece of meat on the floor, her table knife still protruding from it. And next to it, with much more regret, she saw a steak she didn't finish. Let's say I go along with this. I'd have to pop out some noble asshole's shitty kids, right? Not immediately, but for the Tarlow here to protect your rule throughout your life, yes. You would need to produce an heir. Fuck that. Think of the influence you would have. Queen Dagmar, peaceful be her rest, did a great deal of charity in this very city, educating and feeding the unfortunate children like yourself. If they're willing to suckle the royal tit for a few little drops, they're not like me. Then think of the power. You are the kind who takes rather than asks, I can tell. And by yourself, you've taken a modest little living down in this god's forsaken hole. Imagine what you could take with a few thousand swords at your command. Regan was beginning to recognize the appeal of this offer when Yillowin was startled by a sound too faint for his companions to hear. Someone's coming. Armed men. About a score. Fuck. City guard. Was this the plan, assholes? Keep me talking until they showed up? We had planned this. Why would the elf warn you they were coming? Everyone remain calm. The king's crest will stay the city guard. Good idea. Why don't you just walk over there and talk to them? Brennan appeared to have misunderstood Regan's sarcasm as he strode to the door expecting just such a conversation. The guards initiated conversation by lobbing an incendiary device at the door of the tavern. The fire spread rapidly, igniting the sawdust that covered the floor. Holy shit! Fire! Behind the bar. Get beer. Your plan is to start drinking? For the fire, you idiot. God damn it, where did the Regan go? Places like this always have a trap door or a secret exit or something. I bet the rogue snuck out. Damn it, Nelson, this isn't one of your games. These aren't characters, that's a real fire, and we're all really going to die. Kaladin's mercy, the boy was right. Everyone, climb in here. There was indeed a trap door, located in the floor behind the bar. Billy jumped in, feet first, 
without regard to what lay within. I suppose he assumed that nothing could be worse than the fire above. In fact, many things lurking in the sewers of Armstrong Guard were much, much worse than the fire. But luckily, only one of them was present in this sewer at this moment. Is everyone all right? How'd they like the king's crest? The aforementioned thing lurking in the sewer emerged from the shadows carrying a mud-crusted bedroll. An explosion from above shook the tunnel. That'll be the last of this year's brandy going up in flame. So I guess the gods really are dead. Were you going to tell us about that trapdoor? I still wasn't convinced you hadn't called in the cavalry on me. Plus, I figured you probably couldn't lead me to a lifetime of wealth if you couldn't survive a dance with a city god. You're quick to accuse the city god, yet you never saw our attackers. Burning down a whole building on the off chance I'm in it? You gotta be city god. Man, I thought Philly cops were pricks. You thought Philly cops were pricks? If I wanted to check out your story, where would I be headed? Castle Guernador. And no one else knows who you are, so you'll need us to accompany you. Guess we should get moving then. With that, Regan turned and strode confidently down the dim tunnel. Actually, strode may be too strong a word, as the height of the ceiling demanded a fair amount of stooping and shuffling. Still, Regan was substantially more sure-footed than those in the group not practiced in the art of sneaking through sewers. Do that many people really want you dead? The bounty on my head usually changes between substantial and obscene. I'd guess it's on the upswing right now. But city guardsmen can't collect a bounty, can they? Not according to the law. Precisely my point. I think she's implying that they collect bounties anyway. Lawmen breaking the law? That would be perverse and repugnant. I take it none of you knows anywhere we could hide out for a while, huh? The road would be a bad idea right now? As a matter of fact, I may. Can you get us out on the east side of the city? Shouldn't be a problem. Do people try to kill you every day? No one upstairs knows what I look like, unless an asshole like the late Keith Kelly decides to point me out. Most don't. Oh, I bet you're the leader of some kind of guild of rogues, right? Like Honor Among Thieves? I don't know what you heard about Thieves Honor, kid, but I'm still alive because everyone knows what happens when you fuck with me. Our story will now take a brief interlude back to Castle Guernatal. Arlene Redmore, the sister of Lord Ardell Redmore, was resting in her modest bedchamber. Of course, by modest, I mean the gold therein could have fed the underworld of Armstrongard for a mere three months. Arlene stared out her depressingly narrow window with concern at a thin pillar of smoke on the horizon. Gwen, her handmaiden, entered the room, carrying breakfast on a tray. Your breakfast, milady. Thank you, Gwen. You can set it down over there. Remind me what I ordered. Quail's eggs. Toasted bread with honey and boiled oats with cream, milady. Arlene smiled warmly at Gwen. In fact, all signs of her previous brooding had vanished when Gwen arrived. Funny that I would order quail's eggs. I've never liked them. The smile which Gwen returned to her lady was of a more mischievous variety. It became downright cheeky as Gwen plucked a quail egg from the tray and popped it into her own mouth. Come, sit. Have you heard anything? I wouldn't have thought anything of it if you hadn't told me to listen. But I overheard from Helga in the kitchen. Helga? She's the handmaiden to Arabella Coraline. The daughter of the court philosopher. The same, milady. Helga says, Maid Coraline, the poor dear, 
has been plagued with nightmares as of late. Something about soldiers? See if you hear any more about Lord Corlan. Thank you, Gwen. I live to serve, my lady. The formality of her words was for the benefit of potential eavesdroppers, but the gentle touch of Gwen's hair and the small kiss on her forehead were for the benefit of the two women alone. Our party of travellers had by this point escaped from the tunnels of the city of Armstrongard without detection. A light snow fell on their heads as they strolled down the narrow path between two fields, barren for the winter. You say your friend owns these lands? A man I knew in the army. He was the owner when last I was in Armstrongard. And if he is no longer the owner? We'll very politely explain our right to commandeer property to the new owners. One way or another, we need to stay out of sight for a few days. As they travelled, our group naturally tended to segregate themselves, as Nelson, Jen and Billy lagged behind the rest of the group. This was partially due to the fact that, as much as Jen and Billy considered themselves athletes, this claim was proving increasingly ill-founded. It was also due to Jen's disinclination to be anywhere near Irona Regan. So I've been thinking about party roles and how our arrangement is not ideal. Nelson, what part of our situation is ideal? Ideally, the party would have exactly one of each role. You sure you can trust this friend of yours? Brennan is clearly the paladin. He is loyal, nearly to a fault. Regan is the rogue. Dogs are loyal until someone else dangles a bigger slab of meat in front of them. Mia is the cleric. You know, if you want to have any kind of a good life, at some point you'll need to put faith in something. Nelson, what the hell are you babbling about? Well, you keep worrying about a good life, preacher lady. I'll worry about keeping my life. And Yellowween is the ranger. Even if you've no concern for honor or dignity, foresight is advantageous. Is there a point you're trying to make here? Foresight? I'm the only one here without a whole bunch of bullshit about honor and duty clouding my eyes. Yeah. Billy, your fighting style is clearly going to be based on physical strength. Damn Because straight. it's not going to be based on intelligence. Wait, what? But Brennan is already the physical fighter. Are you so willing to dismiss the cornerstones of civilization? No, Brennan. I'm willing to dismiss civilization. I'm clearly predisposed to magic, but Nia does magic. Without civilization, man reverts to his beast-like instincts. Beast-like? A hound fucks a bitch without shame and then sticks around to help feed the litter. Men could use some more beast-like instincts. Though I suppose, if need be, I could focus on dark magic. Don't joke about such things, child. And Jen, I really have no idea what your role is in all of this. Your agility and overly revealing outfit kind of peg you as a rogue. You told me to wear this outfit. Good point. You're not really as self-reliant as most rogues. Why don't I self-rely your teeth into your throat, you little... All that outfit mocks her as is an easy kill. The blunt assessment of Jen's mortality struck the three children hard, especially Jen herself. After a tense moment of silence, Jen stormed off ahead of the group. Honey, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Billy ran after Jen. Yiluin moved to follow. Let them go. But keep them in sight. Was that necessary? What? It's shitty armor. Have you no heart at all? That girl's terrified of you. Don't let her get to you, babe. She's probably just on the rag. She almost killed me. Why? I didn't even cut her. She's not like us. Whoa you there, just... Grandpa. What us? I'm not anything like you. You're not very close with your traveling companions. They're not really my companions. We just kind of wound up together. They don't treat you very kindly, do they? Jen's okay on her own. 
but if Billy gets on a roll, she doesn't do much to stop him. I was right there, Jenny. I wasn't gonna let anything. Billy, stop. Just leave it be, okay? You and I don't take every blade at our throats personally. Most people do. Most people are badly mistaken about what kind of world we live in. And why does that bother you so? The remainder of the trip passed in a rather awkward silence. Eventually, the group reached their destination, which turned out to be a large, run-down farmhouse. One of my friend sprites insists that this particular farmhouse was once beautiful and prosperous. Its present state led me to believe that this friend is a liar. Well, well, well. The king's man knows how to slum it. Not for anything general, but this doesn't seem like any place to bring a princess. I told you, God damn you, after the next harvest... The bellowing voice belonged to the owner of the farm, a man by the name of Bowen Briarhelm. Briarhelm had been fit once. He had been wealthy once. He had been drinking recently. He had arrived at the door wielding a woodcutter's axe. Upon seeing Brennan, he lowered the weapon, although he did not loosen his grip on the handle. Good morning, Captain Briarhelm. Ah, Gredian bugger me! The group soon found themselves seated around a cracked table in the farmhouse. There were not enough seats for everyone, so Briarhelm stood in a corner. When I prayed last night, I'd swore I'd rather see anyone at my door than another tax collector. I guess I lied. Have you no sense of duty to the realm? Leave this to me, Caldear. We are sorry to impose on you like this. We have coin to compensate you for the use of your property. And if you're having trouble with your debts... You'll pay exactly what I'd charge a boarder. No less, no more. Piss on your charity, Brennan. You can stay in the barn. A barn? You're shitting me. Shut up. Do you still keep an armory? I don't maintain most of it, but yes. We'd like to purchase some of your arms as well, to train my squires here. Wait, for real? You have girl squires now. Camp followers. Briarhelm weighed his incredulity at this statement against his history with Brennan. Let me go fetch the armory key. I thought you said he was your friend. I said I knew him in the army. Everyone out, meet me by the barn. We'll not be ungracious guests. Fuck this, man. At least you get a mattress in Pennsylvania. Billy's protests aside, the group trudged out. As the rest of the group left the room, Brennan pulled Regan back for a private word with her. All things considered, I think it's best if Captain Briar... I don't care what you tell your little friend there, Brennan. As long as nobody else finds out I'm here, we don't have a problem. Regan left, and Bowen returned from upstairs. I don't believe for a second that they're squires and camp followers. Bowen. Save your breath. King's secrets, I know. But if there's any more trouble here, it will ruin me. If trouble is going to find them... If what we've been through together means anything to you, tell me now. The two men stared at each other for quite some time, as Brennan considered the best way to lie to the man whose history did
did in fact mean something to him. There's nothing to worry about. Good. I can give you the barn for a week. Then I need to make preparations for planting. That will be fine. My armory's in the cellar behind the house. Here's the key. Thank you, Bowen. For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira. It is performed by Garrett Armin, Hayes Dunlop, Anya Gibeon, Ian Harkins, Emily Kukuk, Frank Queris, Julie Reed, Perry Strong, and Dylan Uremovich. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. Production sound engineering is done by Gary O'Keefe, with dialogue editing and foley by Tommy Stang, and post-production mixing and sound design by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. Thanks for downloading. Once and Future Nerd Book 1 Princes of Jordan Chapter 2 Life in a Corner Episode 2 It was now early afternoon and our party found themselves in the fields of the Briarhelm farm. For the first time in quite a while, nobody present was actively attempting to slaughter our heroes. As such, the group took the opportunity to relax in the cool afternoon sunlight. Billy and Jen walked away from the group to engage in more private conversation. I'm sorry I was bitchy to you before. It's all right. But I'm the only one who's always got your back, so just watch your temper, you know? I know. I know. I'll, um, make it up to you later. Jen leaned in to kiss Billy. But just as their private conversation was about to become a good deal more private and less conversational, Nelson ran to catch up with them. Hey guys, so I'm starting to think- Nelson, shut the fuck up! I'm talking to my girl. Jen quickly took a step away from Billy, using the excuse of looking through her handbag. She found a device known as an iPhone. Oh, no shit, honey. Your phone still works? It's still got a charge, but I can't get any kind of signal. So Apple Maps will be pretty useless here, huh? Yeah. At least that's one thing that's like home. Meanwhile, back at Castle Guernatal, Arlene Redmore was preparing for a formal evening of court functions. As was common for the highborn of Jordan, 
This preparation was accomplished with the assistance of her handmaiden, Gwen. Ardell Redmore burst into the room without warning or regard for his sister's state of relative undress and with a scroll in hand. By this point in our story, it probably does not surprise you that Ardell wasted no breath on greetings or pleasantries with his dear sister. Read this story to your wench. You, you are to memorize this story as though it were your own dream. Tonight, the two of you will wake the bishop and she will recount the dream to him. Brother, she's not trained as a thespian. I'm sure she can manage one story. You'd be very well advised to see that she does. And without another word, Ardell turned and left the room, leaving the two women to ponder on the oddity of this request. Back at the farm, the party had its first opportunity to take in the beauty of the Audic autumn. Unfortunately, they were interrupted by Brennan. He returned from the house with a large, heavy bundle, which he dropped on the ground at Jen and Billy's feet. Everyone listen. We need to stay here a few days, and I want to take the chance to teach you young ones the basics of armed combat, in case you need to defend yourselves. You know, if we just looked for a way to get us home, no one would have to teach us anything. Are those real swords? They're blunted, but before you start swinging them at each other, let's have a demonstration of experienced fighters. Kaltir. Gladly. Regan. Huh? Would you like to spar with Yellowween? <laughs> My mom says it'll make you blind. Spa? A pretend fight. Is there any actual thing in it for me? May I have a word in private? Not to be a stickler for tradition, but shouldn't you be calling me your highness? Would you please excuse us for a moment, children? No more of this sending us away while the grown-ups talk shit. Say what you want. <sighs> if we all had to fight, how do you think our young companions would fare? I'd say almost as well as some boiled horse shit. Hey, fuck that, really? I... I hope you want to be insulted, but I cannot very much argue. No, it's true. We all need to level up a bunch. My primary mission is to bring you back to claim the throne. But I've also been ordered to keep them safe, which at the moment means keeping them near us. Which means if there's a fight, they'll be fighting alongside you. Is that negotiable? No. So it is in your interest to concern yourself with their training. Regan carefully studied the children for a moment. To her disgust, she reached the same conclusion as Brennan. With a sigh, she reluctantly stood and walked to face Yillowin. Give it your best shot, Splinterpole. With the arrogance that only an adolescent elf could muster, Yillowin charged head-on towards the rogue. Regan stood unflinching, almost lazily in the elf's path. But at the final possible moment, with unbelievable quickness, she nimbly stepped aside, grabbed Yellowin by the shoulder and waist, and used his own speed to throw him to the ground. The elf hit the ground, hard. Weenie, you just got your ass handed to you by a girl. You're rooting for her? Don't tell me you're rooting for Weenie. In an instant, Yellowin was back on his feet. This time, he studied his opponent for a moment before charging. His approach appeared identical, only this time, when Regan went for the same grapple, her hands grasped empty air 
A cat-like dodge allowed Yellowin to evade Regan's grab and set the rogue off balance. A sharp, open-handed blow to the sternum put the thief queen of Armstrongard on her back. Yellowin turned his back to his fallen opponent, a smirk on his face, and addressed the children. Now you see, proper training and good breeding will always win out in the end. The general and I can provide the former. As for the latter... Yellowin's pontificating was interrupted by his sudden reacquaintance with the rocky ground. While he had been busy describing his victory, Regan tripped her opponent, pinned him to the ground, and unsheathed his hunting knife, all in one adept motion. Regan's right hand grabbed a handful of Yellowin's hair and used it to yank his head uncomfortably. Her left hand brought the knife to Yellowin's throat, also uncomfortable. Yield. Fine. What was that? I yield. Rule number two for surviving a fight to the death. No fucking speeches. If you absolutely must make a speech, wait until you're sure the other guy is done. What's rule number one? Only now did Regan release her captive elf. Try that again, you silt suck. Let me. As mad as Yellowin was, one look at Brennan quieted him. Brennan stood in front of Regan and slowly stretched his neck left, then right. He cracked his knuckles loudly and then slowly reached for his battle axe. Let's dance, Grandpa. You never said what rule number one was. Nelson's question was ignored as the two combatants squared off for the fight. Each stared menacingly at the other. Regan shifted her weight from side to side, as if looking for an opening. Brennan stood still as a statue, looking as imposing and immovable as a mountain. The children, although they did not realize it, had been holding their breath for an interminable moment. Suddenly, Regan looked beyond Brennan, off towards the horizon. Her face showed surprise and worry. I think the lessons are going to have to wait. What Regan had seen was an opportunity to kick Brennan, as Billy would later go on to describe it, and I quote, square in the nuts. She delivered the kick as soon as Brennan had turned his back. Just like the elf before him, the big man hit the ground hard and soon had Regan's knife at his throat. Yield, you cheating mongrel. Rule number one for surviving a fight to the death. Don't expect your enemy to follow any rules. He'll do anything to stay alive, so should you. Her lessons imparted, Regan finally released Brennan. He immediately fell to his side and vomited profusely. <laughs> Regan threw down Yellowin's blade and calmly strode back towards the barn leaving the children to reflect on the outcome of the bout. In fact, the adults partook in some reflection as well. Fighting without honor leads to a disordered soul. I'll take that over a disordered nutsack. She may win fights, but she'll never know peace. Dishonor also sows distrust among allies, and that has lost many a battle. Having no principles makes it easier to preserve your life, but impossible to know... If your life is worth preserving, we'll resume training tomorrow. I'll make you some ice. It was horrible, your eminence. The tabernacle, 
was a sanctuary within Castle Guernatal, devoted to the worship of Galadon. It was the most beautiful bird I'd ever seen. But then the man with the golden circle on his head, he, uh, he bit his poor little head right off. The room was extravagantly adorned. Sun shone through the large stained glass windows, casting concentric circles of light onto the floor. These circles overlapped with the circles of gold inlaid into the marble floors and walls. Of all the beautiful rooms in Castle Guernatal, I'm told that this one was the favorite of the late Prince Uther. Presently, however, it was occupied by Arlene, Gwen, and the ancient head priest. When I remembered General Brennan's dream, I hope haven't wasted your time, Your Eminence. Of course not, my child. Now is a time to err on the side of caution. Does it mean anything, Your Eminence? My child, dream analysis is an art more than a science. Your dream could mean any of a million and one things, or it could just be a dream. Maid Redmore was wise to bring it to our attention, but you needn't worry your little heart about it any further. Gwen, would you please wait for me outside? As you wish, my lady. Your Eminence, I understand if you don't want to worry the serving girl, but is there anything I should be worried about? No, my child. Have a cup of brandied tea and try to sleep. I don't mean to presume or to question your wisdom, Your Eminence, but if you mean to spare me worry on account of my sex... I assure you, it will worry me more to not know whether my brother is in any danger. As if summoned by the speaking of his name, Ardell appeared at the door to the tabernacle and strode in. There you are. I awoke in the night with a peculiar feeling and was worried when you weren't in your chambers. Are you well? Yes, brother. My handmaiden had a nightmare and insisted upon seeing the bishop. Yes, I know how superstitious commoners can get. Under the circumstances. Yes, of course, as long as you're all right. Lord Redmore, I wasn't going to call on you at this hour, but as long as you're awake and here, perhaps I could have a word. Of course, Your Eminence. Arlene, run off to bed now, my dear. Come, let us walk. Ardell Redmore was well aware of the pace of the head priest's talking, and of his walking, for that matter. He hid his impatience well, however, and took the old man's hand. Meanwhile, Arlene found Gwen waiting in the hallway outside the shrine. I'm sorry, milady, I didn't know how to warn you. As far as he knows, I was just doing as he told. Did the bishop reveal anything? No, my brother came in before I could ask him much. First made Corlin's dream, and then this story. Do you know anyone who could discreetly fetch us some things from the Royal Library? The moon and aurora had risen over the Briarhelm farm. Yellowin stood guard at the barnyard door, rhythmically sharpening his hunting knife. Within the barn lay a neat row of bales of hay, the only mattresses available for the barn's guests. 
Nias slept soundly atop the first bale. Nelson likewise slept on the second. His armor and weapons were, of course, neatly folded and arranged by his side. The remaining bales, however, were unoccupied. There was a ladder up to the second floor of the barn, which Jen and Billy had ascended in hopes of finding some privacy. As Jen kissed Billy, he in his small clothes and she in her recently purchased armor, she became very aware of his well-formed muscles. When Billy reached down and unfastened a single strap on Jen's waist, the entire lower part of her attire slid free. Billy. Free advice. What the fuck is your problem? Regan emerged from the shadows of the barn and casually strode into the dim light, trimming her fingernails with her knife. If he can fuck you after undoing one strap, you're not wearing armor. I got you something. Regan sheathed her knife and then kicked a large bundle of cloth across the floor towards Jen. Jen stared at it suspiciously. Regan nudged it closer to Jen and nodded. Jen opened the package to find a suit of heavy leather armor studded with steel bands. The armor clearly was designed to cover all of a woman's vital organs, not just the ones that teenage boys considered vital. The design should keep you mobile, except, you know, also actually protect you. You got me armor? Piece it together best I could. You want an actual smith to toughen up those rivets first chance you get, but it'll do you a lot more good than the shit you've been wearing. Hey, she likes the... I'm talking to her. Why do you care about my clothes? For starters, our fates, unfortunately, seem to be intertwined for the time being. So I'd much rather you dress like a fighter than a dead meat sausage in a whore casing. Jesus! Are you always this flattering? And rule number three for surviving a fight to the death? Settle your debts before the fight starts. People do stupid things when they think you owe them something. Excuse me? We're even now, right? You said you would, quote, fucking gut me like dinner, and now you give me some clothes and we're supposed to be even? I didn't draw blood. But you would have! I would do what everyone does, which is anything I fucking need to to survive. Well, then you can understand- I'm sorry, I thought I was talking to a woman, not a little girl. My mistake. Without waiting for a response, Regan turned and descended the ladder, leaving the two children alone. Jen stood wordlessly for a moment, staring uncomprehendingly at the rogue's gift. Quite some time had passed at Castle Guernatal, meaning Ardell's conversation with the head priest had only just begun. What do you think this dream means? Divining the meaning of a dream is not like, say, mixing a potion. The purposes of the elements can vary depending on the circumstances. You've said as much, but surely you consider some possible meanings more likely than others? The head priest suddenly stopped walking and stared off into the empty space in front of him for a long moment. Ardell waited, slightly concerned that the ancient man may have suffered a stroke mid-conversation. Eventually, however... Ah, yes, that did it. Did what, your eminence? I find that walks can be very helpful in evacuating the bowels. Don't you... Beg your pardon? Helpful for evacuating the bowels, I say. Would you be so kind as to accompany me to the privy, Lord Redmore? I would think one of your subordinates would... No, no. As you said yourself... 
Privacy is vital. Well, surely it can wait no, until... your sister spoke the truth. These are not times for taking things lightly. Five minutes later... You will forgive this particular wood sprite for enjoying the repulsion and discomfort evident on Ardell's face as he stood beside the old man and his gilded chamber pot. Research I could do if I weren't always carrying out some ritual or another to keep my bowels moving. Uh, truly, regular bowel movements are wasted on the young. No offence, Lord Redmore. You were saying, Your Eminence, about the dream? Ah, uh, yes. Until I can speak with more certainty... I would not alarm anyone with... ...hasty, irresponsible prophesying. Your Eminence, the servile classes are prone to three things. Superstition, gossip, and panic. If one has a nightmare, they'll start to talk soon enough, and then we'll have to prevent a panic... But if I know in advance what the rumors are likely to be, we can better prepare to maintain control of the situation. I see your point, Lord Redmore. I must once again stress that this should not be taken as my official reading of the young girl's dream. But if I had to essay as to how it might likely be read... It could lead some to think the king is a traitor. Despite his discomfort, Ardell managed to make a passable feint at shock. Inwardly, however, he couldn't be more pleased. For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira. It is performed by Garrett Armin, Hayes Dunlop, Anya Gibeon, Ian Harkins, Emily Kukuk, Frank Queris, Julie Reed, Harry Strong, and Dylan Uremovich. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. Production sound engineering is done by Gary O'Keefe, with dialogue editing and foley by Tommy Stang, and post-production mixing and sound design by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. Thanks for downloading... I've got it. What? Your rocket pack. I thought about that, but even though I might be able to get into the shaft you came from, it will just purge energy again, and my electroshield won't be enough to protect me, no, let alone no, both of us. No, I was thinking us. about its power cells. 
Is it RSS compliant? Of course. And the energy field from the tortoise is drawn from RSS fields around audio space. If you reverse the oscillation on the polarity regulator of your exhaust We'd ports, overload the field generator and send a temporary feedback forcing the system to begin a restart sequence giving four us... seconds to escape before it rebuilds itself. Brilliant! Thanks, but that's what David would do. Where the heck is he anyway? I haven't seen him. Only seen these little robot-like guys with televisions in their chests. Pathetic. Huh. I thought they was Teletubbies. The Sonic Society Season 10 is written and produced by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music provided by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society through Creative Commons licensing. The Sonic Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Tonight's special guest is Pete Lutz from the Rada Radio Theatre Company and Pulpbury Theatre. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallwake, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020.